the European Patent Office podcasts bring you an insight into the technology and innovation shaping the world. Hello and welcome to this podcast from the European Patent Office, in which we will be discussing the small, agile companies active in deep tech. These are the innovators who are creating the smart, connected, autonomous devices that are essential in our modern world. But which sectors are booming? What might be holding some companies back? And how does Europe compare with the US? My name is Jeremy Philpot, and I work in communication at the European Patent Office. Joining me today are two experts who can answer our questions. First, we have the Chief Economist of the European Investment Bank, Deborah Revoltella. Since arriving at the EIB in 2011, she has been building their economics department and has led the work for flagship publications such as the EIB Investment Report. Welcome, Deborah. Hello, Jeremy. Thanks very much for inviting me today. Pleasure. And also joining us is EPO Chief Economist, Jan Menier. Jan and his team have just published a new study, co-authored with Deborah's team, on the patenting trends and economic factors impacting so-called deep tech SMEs, the small and medium-sized enterprises creating the technologies for our smart, connected, autonomous world. Welcome, Jan. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Deborah. I'm pleased to be here. So, Deborah, I'd like to start with you. It's great that the EPO is partnering with the European Investment Bank for the first time on a, on a study. But why? How did the European Investment Bank get in touch with the EPO? It's a long story, but I will try to make it short. So, the gap... <laughs> The gap in terms of uh, innovation and digitalization between uh, the EU and the US is a well-known policy concern. And the US has developed uh, a clear leadership in digital innovation, which brings a strong competitive advantage in the new digital uh, world. But Europe is determined to play its role, also at uh, the intersection of various technologies uh, like the digital and green area. Now, the EAB group plays a crucial role in this European ambition. The European Investment Bank Group is actually very think it's a bank, it's a venture capitalist, it's actually a fund of funds and venture capital funds, but it's also a European institution. And we are committed to breaking down investment barrier and helping the EU to take lead in the next wave of innovations. And uh, in doing so, we think that having a, a very good understanding of the market that comes from research, from data, from uh, being active in the markets is crucial. So we decided to work together and uh, it's nice, Jana, the EPO, you have this fantastic data also on, on the patents, you have this uh, very strong interest on working on uh, the most innovative uh, SME. And uh, we saw that it was a perfect match to bring uh, together our uh, knowledge, our information, uh, and have uh, this uh, joint uh, report coming up. Well, thanks, Deborah. And the pleasure is, uh, is definitely shared. I think uh, it was a very good initiative to collaborate on that and with, with a lot of benefits to reap on both sides. And uh, actually, the, because the, the interest of the EPO very much mirror or echo with those of the, of the EIB, uh, as said by Deborah, we are highly interested in, uh, in these small players of the innovation stage uh, in Europe, these uh, so-called uh, deep tech SMEs. 
And uh, although we are, so as, as a patent office for, for Europe, we have a, a large number of patent applications coming from uh, large companies from all around the world. But it's important to, uh, to emphasize that two-thirds of our applicants, about two-thirds of our applicants file only one application. So we have a lot of small applicants. And these are typically small European businesses that develop new technology. So they are deep tech businesses and that are trained to, to use uh, European patents to bring that to the market on a European scale. And these are a highly important category of applicants to us. We are aware of the importance for, for the European economy. And we are aware also of the importance of funding and policy support for them. And uh, there can be no better partner to, to study them than, than the EID. Sounds like a marriage made in heaven. Before we can get into the study in more detail, I just want to clarify some terminology. I understand this idea of the fourth industrial revolution, which we four IR. In the study, we're using this additional term. We talk about deep tech innovation and deep tech SMEs. And Jan, what's the difference? Let's start with the, the fourth industrial revolution. So as we see it from the perspective of a, of a patent office, this is a, a deep uh, technology trend that is pervasive, that is transforming a, a large number of uh, industries, virtually all industries. And that, uh, as you say, encompasses a myriad of technologies, a constellation of technologies such as uh, 5G, artificial intelligence, cloud computing, uh, big data, and so on. To give you some orders of magnitude, uh, we have been following developments in, in these technologies for, for now a, a number of years. And we observed that over the past decade, the number of patent applications in that field has increased by 20% on average every year. So it's much, much faster than uh, than the rest of the technologies where we have approximately 4% every year. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They now represent more than 10% of all patent applications in the world that are filed every year. And they are pervading all sectors. So it's not only in telecommunications or in chips. You also find them uh, this kind of innovation in, in medical technologies, in transportation, in energy, uh, you name it. So it, they are really transformative and pervasive, and uh, it's very important that uh, to, to understand uh, how uh, Europe is doing with respect to this development. So this is why we are monitoring them. And of course, th this is a threat, but this is also an opportunity for European industry and especially for European small businesses. And so we are particularly interested in understanding how European small businesses are performing in this respect. And there are two ways to come to the second part of your question. There are two ways of looking at that. On the one hand, uh, small businesses can make use of these technologies. So this is a big challenge for, for European ones. But you also have a subset of SMEs that not only use these technologies, but develop them. They create new smart connected objects. They, they innovate in developing new technology, in bringing, bringing new technology to the market. And these are what we call the deep tech SMEs, SMEs that uh, develop and bring to the market brand new technology. This is what we are interested in for this study. And one way, one easy way to identify them is the fact that they are filing patents. Right. Okay. So not just using 4IR tech, but actually making it right. So the one other bit of jargon I just wanted to check with you, Jan, this notion of, of international patent family, this is the thing that you've been counting, as it were. Why is that considered a metric or a measure for innovation? Yes, so uh, that's a good question. So we're looking at SMEs that are filing patent applications in that field related to smart connected objects. But patents are territorial rights. So there are many ways of counting patents. And one good way is to focus on this international patent family. So it's basically it's inventions 
for which a patent application has been filed in at least two different countries. And uh, by using this metric, we make sure that these are patents that count, inventions that count, because their inventors want international patent protection for that. And this also makes it possible to make comparison between countries. So by using these metrics, we can compare SMEs, small businesses that are filing international patent applications from the US or from Europe without having a bias in terms of how frequently they file patents, for instance, or what other type of patents they're filing for. So IPFs is a measure of the inventions which are sufficiently significant or commercially valuable to their inventors that they want protection in multiple countries. Deborah, now I, I want to get a little bit more into the substance of the study and how the research was done. So how did your team and Jan's team work together leading to, you know, the, the particularly unique features of this study as opposed to some of the other studies that the EIB puts out? So let's uh, start from what I wanted to achieve, and I think it achieves. Uh, the purpose of the study is uh, to provide a comprehensive uh, inventory and analysis of uh, SME that invest in the development of uh, new uh, for uh, industrial revolution technologies uh, in the EU27. And the, the aim is uh, to inform policy makers uh, and uh, private decision makers and investors on the challenge that uh, these firms encounter uh, in uh, their, uh, their activities. What we did uh, with uh, the study is really to bring uh, together the knowledge, the expertise, and the data of the two different uh, institutions. And Jana was al- already mentioning uh, the use of uh, patent data and the, your databases in terms of patents. On our side at the European Investment Bank, we have uh, since uh, six years, uh, we run a survey representing uh, European firms, uh, 12,000 firms in Europe. And uh, in that Part, we also try to get the flavor. We have a special focus also on SME and we try to understand what's happening also to innovation through the survey of all firms. On the other side, as I was saying, on Jan and through the European Patents Office, we have the database of patents in Europe. And by bringing those together, what we did was to take out of the Patent Office database, to take out out the SME that invest in the new for higher technologies. We use it at the samples and we add an additional survey. The additional survey was trying to understand what features affect these firms. And then because of the questions in this survey were very similar to the one that we use in our comprehensive survey for all SME in Europe, what we managed was also to be able to compare the performance of this innovative for IR SME to the rest of the market of all firms, of all SME. And also because in our survey we have the US, we also bring the comparison of the US dimension. So at the end, it's really a win-win. We bring together different pieces and the sum of it is something very interesting. The cohort that you've got there, you know, 10,000 SMEs as a survey body is just phenomenal base to, to start from for, for a study like this. Let's get into some of the findings. So what does your research show that is particular or specific to these deep tech SMEs as opposed to the body of SMEs as a whole? Based on the data that uh, on the combination of the data brought by the EPO and the EIB, and especially the possibility of comparing these 
patent applicants with other SMEs, we can show, I think, uh, in a quite uh, compelling way that they are special in, in many respects. I would emphasize in particular the, the fact that uh, they are not so young. So, of course, there are young companies, very young ones uh, in the among them, but more than half of them are, are more than 10 years old. And despite being uh, still uh, not so big, and this shows that these uh, small businesses typically have long investment cycles because they invest in technology, they invest in research, and it takes time to bring brand new technology to market. It takes time and it takes uh, money, also investment. They are really investment intensive and so they are more dependent on, uh, on access to funding. To me, I think about these sorts of startups as being full of trendy 20-something hipsters on long boards, you know, developing cool smartphone apps. You think, oh, that they've got to be small and young and agile and fast. But of course, you know, entrepreneurs who are developing smartphone apps, these are exactly what you described earlier, Jan. These are the people using 4IR technologies, but they're not necessarily the ones making the technology. Yes, some of them may develop uh, advanced software. We have uh, some examples in the report of apps of medical devices with advanced software. But the point indeed is that they are also developing the smartphone. They are developing the device, the machine. And uh, as a matter of fact, we see that uh, many of them are actually involved in manufacturing, in producing, designing uh, physical objects, not only not only software. So it's the combination of both. And they are developing these kind of devices in a really broad variety of, uh, of sectors. We see that uh, perhaps the main one is medical technologies. Many of them are active in medical technologies, but they are also present in uh, transportation, in uh, green technologies, clean technologies, or in advanced uh, artificial intelligence or, or data processing uh, systems. So in that case, it's more B2B. They are developing technologies that will be used by other companies to better exploit their data. Moving on to some of the other findings, Deborah, what, what are you taking away from the study in terms of the significant differences between the position of SMEs in Europe and those in the US? I think the starting point is what led us actually in the study. So the gap between the US and Europe. And actually it's confirmed also when we talk about 4IR innovation, the US dominates. The US dominates. In the U.S., there are twice as many SME with an international portfolio of four IR patents than in the EU. Uh, even uh, true small firms make up a smaller share of the American economy. And also in the EU, SME contributed uh, 10% of international patent families in uh, four uh, IR uh, technologies, while in the US, SME accounted for 16% of uh, their uh, country contribution. What comes out is really a gap uh, on the two sides. But uh, the picture is a little bit more uh, patchy, I would say, because mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. at the end, uh, there are also positive aspects at the European level that, uh, that emerge. Yes, indeed. Uh, actually, we have, uh, if we look uh, at the country level, uh, we see that some European countries are, are doing even better than, than the US. These are typically the, the Nordic countries. You can, uh, we can quote uh, Finland or Sweden or Denmark, but also outside the EU, Switzerland is, is really performant. And we see that uh, in these countries, we have a combination of a strong specialization in uh, four-year innovation uh, with a large share of inventions contributed by SMEs, but also large companies that are active there. And uh, all of that forms a dynamic and performant ecosystem. So in, in that respect, uh, one, one lesson uh, learned from this uh, study is that we should not necessarily oppose small businesses and large ones. They can work in synergies and benefit from each other. And the, the best examples are probably the, the, the clusters that we have identified 
uh, in uh, in Finland and Sweden around uh, Nokia and Ericsson, for instance. So at least it's not a situation that all of Europe is necessarily lagging behind. I mean, it's, it's I hear it again and again, oh, Europe lags behind uh, the US. But in this case, we're not consistently bad throughout. There's some sunlight in some parts of Europe here. There is another element that I wanted to put on the picture, and there may be something happening with dominant players that are those for IRSME that are actually considering themselves to be dominant in their market. And among those firms, we have a much higher propensity to see the U.S. as their destination market rather than Europe. So there may be something in terms of if you are a global dominant leader, you still want to go to the U.S. But it's not always the case. You have also a lot of firms that actually are local, but dream European in terms of growth. But, but this also then leads me on to the next point, because we see this again and again in the European Inventor Award, that uh, startup companies with European inventors behind them often go to the United States because that's where the venture capital is. So it's not just that they see the US as their market, but they've actually gone there because that's where they can find the money. So uh, for me then, I'm interested in knowing what is your research showing in terms of the financing needs for these particular SMEs? What emerged from our study is uh, that uh, still finance is a constraint. So access to finance is a constraint for those firms. And we see it at a various level. We have a number of indications in the studies. First of all, uh, we see that while the market for, for AR technology is dynamic, firms both in the U.S. and the U.S. actually say that lack of finance prevented them from scaling up. It's like a 73% in Europe, a 77% in the US. The storyline that we get is actually that uh, finance is an issue. It's uh, an issue through the whole life of the firms, but where it's really becoming more of a pressing element is in the scaling up phase. And that's quite interesting for us at the European Investment Bank, because as I was saying at the beginning, we are also a bank and we are also a fund that is supporting these innovative companies. So what we find in the study is very similar to what we see in our daily life. So we, through our investment fund, we try to accompany firms at all stages of growth, starting from seed capitals and going business angels, seed capital, venture capital going on. And also we try to finance this innovative SME through various other, also more debt-related instruments. And we recently are experiencing with a new product that we launched a few years ago that is called Venture Debt. It's a very interesting product because it supports innovative firms exactly at a certain point of scaling up. So after they get their first funding and before they do something else. So it's in a moment in which they the firm sees some potential for success, wants to grow, doesn't want it to be too much diluted. And what is interesting is uh, 
not only that we find the product uh, quite appealing in the market, but what we did on the research side was uh, to try to do an assessment of uh, what is the effect of uh, this uh, EIB Ventor Depth product on the firms that received it. So we did a study in which we take all the firms that uh, received our our uh, product. We compare their performance in this in the following years compared to uh, an identical group of firms that qualified for the product but didn't receive any form of venture debt. We find exposed that actually the firms that received the product, they in fact were growing faster. But one element that is extremely important is that through this venture debt, they were able to catalyze other financing. So it was kind of a signaling effect of the fact that that was a good good uh, projects and a good opportunity for growth. So we find out uh, that uh, that uh, particularly in the scaling up, uh, we see an effect of a good, uh, well-structured product uh, that uh, support the firms in their growth phase. This is also very interesting for, for us at the EPO and, uh, and more generally these results and the way in which these SMEs scale up and the fact that uh, more than half of them are willing primarily to scale up uh, in Europe. Remember that these are SMEs that are developing patented technology. They are obviously uh, targeting the, the European market, and so they need European patents. And uh, we, we know that uh, often, the, although the fact it's possible to obtain a European patent, it's still difficult to manage uh, the subsequent portfolio of national patents. Uh, we expect uh, the creation of, uh, of the unitary patent to benefit strongly this kind of, uh, of companies and help them scale up in Europe. And another uh, interesting and uh, insight from, from the study to, to us is the fact that uh, 50% of them say that actually their patents mattered in uh, raising funding uh, from investors. And uh, up to 80% of them report that uh, the IP strategy is very important to, com- to convince uh, uh, investors. And there too, if we have a clear and sound European patents, so unitary patents, that uh, can provide some, some help in raising funding or scaling up in the European single market. The unitary patent is going to help with reducing costs, transaction costs, certainly for patent applicants in the future. So um, fingers crossed it comes soon. And it may be more readable for yeah. investors as well. We're coming to the close. So I'd just like to catch a couple of thoughts from, from both of you on what your hopes and wishes are for the future. Deborah. So I have to come with my shopping list at this moment. So <laughs> of course, I come from the finance world. So for sure, we need more finance and particularly growth finance for firms. But also, we need to talk about the innovation culture and the innovation ecosystem at the European level. And I think here, we really have to think about an environment that is flexible enough to accommodate for new innovative entrants that can exploit and get other benefits going on and grow and uh, and having uh, this opportunity. And then uh, so something quite interesting, I think, we see that uh, when we look at uh, where Europe lags behind, etc., one area where actually Europe is going quite decently is in terms of at the intersection of digital and green innovation. And that's actually a very important part, particularly because we are playing on the green transition and we have a very strong policy direction in that point of view. And innovation in the green transition is fundamental for really achieving the objective that we have. So 
at the end, I think uh, a lot of focus on the, on, uh, the digital and green transition at uh, the intersection of the two and trying to really push in this direction, particularly because uh, we have an opportunity. We are already on the lead there. Yeah. So, Jan, how about it? Well, I would mention two points. The, 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 the first one is uh, I think there is still a lot to explore at the interface of finance and, uh, and IP and patents uh, in particular, because this matters a lot for, for this kind of, uh, of factors. And otherwise, I would fully agree with uh, Deborah on the importance of, uh, of green technologies. This is uh, very high in the strategic agenda of, uh, of the EPO. Actually, we are already working on uh, identifying uh, applications in that space, energy storage, uh, renewable energy, clean steel, clean cement, hydrogen, and so on. And there is fascinating technology that is being developed there, uh, a lot being developed in Europe and by, by SMEs. So we will definitely uh, keep looking at that and especially at, uh, at SMEs, at tech SMEs. And why not uh, uh, doing that again? There is an opportunity with the, with the EID. Why not indeed? I think we've started to scope out the parameters for future projects. It's been fascinating discussing your latest study and, and these challenges that are facing Europe's innovators. I'm really sorry, but it's time to go. But thank you both so much for sharing your insights and knowledge. Thanks to all of you out there for listening. Please come to epo.org to explore the new study from the EIB and EPO for yourselves. But for today, from Deborah, Jan and myself, it's goodbye. Grazie mille, arrivederci. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye. Subscribe to the European Patent Office's podcast channel, Talk Innovation, at epo.org or on your favourite podcast platform. Let's Talk Innovation.